Welcome back, everyone. This is I am Lynn Gilliland. This is Lessons from Leaders, and I am very honored today to have with us Indira Kaur Aluvalia, and she is she's coming to us with three hats on, or I hope we touch on three things. One is she is the president and founder of her own firm, Core Strategies. She is the author of Fast Forward to Hope. Well, you are the author of Fast Forward to Hope. And the reason that Indira and I got connected was um, the work that I got um, interested in the work that she's doing with the Coalition for Racial and Ethnic Equity. Um, and the sh- and we, so we're going to talk about that and the leadership, Indira, that you have been showing with all three of these efforts. Um, I think it's going to be of interest to everyone. And I especially want to be talking about the pledge, which I think is important. And I think I mentioned to you, Indira, also, I've been doing these interviews with various CEOs in the NGO sector, and it keeps the pledge keeps getting mentioned to me. So <laughs> congratulations about that. And anyways, welcome to you to the podcast. Thank you so much, Len. I'm super excited to be with you and figure out which hat to speak from, but all of it um, is humbling to be a part of. And thank you for giving, giving this a platform on your show. Thank you again. Oh, you're so welcome. And, and again, thanks for making the time. So let's just start out with the pledge. So uh, let's... Talk about it. What is the pledge? And um, let's. So, what, what is it? And then I want to also talk about why you're you're the driver, a important driver in this. How did you come up with this? And uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, thank you. I think the pledge is we're in the moment of launching the pledge, and so it's incredibly exciting to be part of your show to talk about it when it's becoming so real. Um, Diversity, equity, be it racial or ethnic or gender, has been core to how I've tried to live my life. And it's been fundamental to how I work. And for a couple of years, even before George Floyd was killed, our industry was grappling with questions of diversity people have always been very well-intentioned, but oftentimes didn't have pathways or the impetus to push through and do something about it in this moment. And in launching the, the coalition and the effort for building the pledge, it was a way for me to, to follow through with what I believe in. I think the, the idea that this industry is about developing equity in how we work, in how we honor uh, people we work with in other countries, how we are trying to create a more equitable world for for everybody. Um, The idea that we have issues in our own country and oftentimes in our own offices propelled uh, me to pull together a group of leaders I have tremendous respect for and create the Coalition for Racial and Ethnic Equity. We call it CREED. Um, the idea that this, uh, the court team that came together to develop this with me, I was, I'm very proud to say I had the opportunity to work with leaders from IYF and global communities, DAI and Palladium, 
uh, Encompass, ACDI Voca, Pixera Global, um, have, uh, have really contributed significantly to formulating what this pledge is. The pledge is working towards creating specifically racial and ethnic equity in international development. We, we grappled with the scope quite considerably in, in, as we started out in March of 2021. We landed upon keeping the focus on equity, cleanly, purely, and fully. The idea that we need to look at localization or locally-led development or decolonizing development or DEI, DEIA broadly, all of it is relevant. But we wanted to take one step forward and ensure that it would be effective. By choosing to stay focused on equity, um, that was our first, uh, our first guideline. The second aspect was in this time, recognizing it's too little too late in a lot of ways. Mm. 50 years plus into development, we need to call out the need for racial and ethnic equity. We've done a tremendous amount of work and learned a lot from building gender equity. We're in this moment where we recognize the need to build local leaders in the global south. But we also need to understand and recognize that in order to do that, we have to start at the core of building racial and ethnic equity as we work with black and brown people across the world. The, the third aspect that we, we came to was, what do we do in terms of where do we first focus? And racial and ethnic equity is tremendously large. And the first, the preamble of building into this to do it at a global scale meant that we had to get our own houses in order. Mm. And what I mean by that is there's, if you look at the bridge survey that was recently done with a lot of respect for what they shared, it was, it's evident that if you look at the CEOs in this industry, only 4% are female BIPOC leaders. And that's a very troubling statistic. We have much better gender balance because of the work we have intentionally done. But when it comes to bringing up and creating um, advancement and leadership and decision-making by our whole organization, we haven't been successful. So the emphasis was very clear in our, in our minds that we would focus on ensuring that policies, systems, and culture within our own U.S.-based organizations was first addressed. And I often joke, a CEO comes sit across the table from me and say, she doesn't have authority over her recruitment guidelines. Mm. So these are things that we can do almost immediately in how we recruit. Um, our emphasis, therefore, is really on our U.S.-based offices initially, as we build this pledge 1.0 to ensure that we're looking at it from a perspective of racial and ethnic equity. Um, we're also very clear that this is a leaders, leadership-led initiative. The advocates and BIPOC people have worked very hard to bring it to the forefront. Accountability has to be where the responsibility is. And as leaders, we're all equipped to take this charge. Not only are we equipped, I think we're, we're in 
amongst all the leaders I've talked to, we've got 31 member organizations now of Creed. Each one is invested in this process. So the idea that we would create a pledge um, that would speak to meaningful, practical goals as it related to racial and ethnic, ethnic equity came about. And the pledge in and of itself is five components. It speaks to um, the component one is policy and systems. And how do you integrate racial and ethnic equity, REE, into the organization's policies and systems? The second speaks to leaders, I'm sorry, speaks to staff, structure, and composition. So it's, um, it's people, leadership, and organizational structure, to say it accurately. And of course, over there, we're looking at compensation parity, but we're also looking at succession plans. We're looking at how we recruit. The third speaks to culture. None of it matters on paper if the ethos is not there. What's also relevant is component four, which is accountability. Not only what must we act, we must be accountable and measure what we've accomplished and also report on it. And finally, we look at communications and transparencies. So organizations and leaders can speak in front of the world and say, this is important to me. This is how I will act. And none of it is prescriptive. None of it is um, going to be policed. The idea is that we're creating a, we're inviting people to this journey where we can together learn from each other with positive intent to bring in things from the roadmap we share to fit what works in our organization. And uh, thank you for going over that. And when I looked at it, some of the pieces I was very surprised and pleased to see were the culture and accountability. And then you're very clear about saying this is what it will look like when you're achieving it. I think you use different, uh, I think the word is, the wording is outcome. Um, and so, and also I didn't know 31 organizations are, are, are on board. So that's also hats off. What do you see as... Like what scares you? Like what might be the thing that de gets uh, derailed or doesn't come out the way you're hoping for? You know, there is the two thoughts, um, and I'll be honest. Uh, one, there is no backing down from this. Mm. This is this is necessary, and it is critical, not just from us feeling as leaders or as people in the community where we work, that we can actually respect the people, truly respect the people we work with here and overseas. It's that mindset that we cannot walk back from. Um, the second aspect of it is there, there's a range of expectations. And on one side, I'm sure people are going to say we haven't and should say we haven't gone far enough. And on the other side of the spectrum, people are going to be hurt that we haven't gone far enough. So the idea that in some cases, people, it may be uncomfortable for people because we're calling, we're calling out what we're trying to address. 
you know, we've talked a lot about this. Should we call out that this is systemic racism that we're trying to address? You cannot have um, equity without calling out what you're trying to change. Mm. We're calling out very specifically what we're learning, trying to unlearn is an ethnocentric, perhaps even a white Western mindset. Mm. It's very global north in how we tell the global south what we want to do that's best for them. And so the idea that there are going to be expectations that we don't meet um, is a reality, but it's a reality that I'm, I'm pleased to have because what that will create is conversation. And I really resonate with your calling out what you need to unlearn. So there is a, there's a needing to say, this is what's not working. I mean, to be, to call out the negative, which sometimes in our industry, we don't like to do. We like to just be positive. So we need to name it in order to do the other side of the coin. And so I appreciate that about what you were saying. Um, and and the other thing that comes up for me is that you yourself and the, your other people that you're working closely with, you had to stick your heads up to do this. So, and you're talking about criticism. Some people are going to be disappointed that it's not far enough. So you had to take a personal risk to do this. You, you are opening yourself up to accolades and to criticism and that that requires in my mind a lot of commitment or your purpose to to go walk down that road it's i think more than risk i'm framing it as personal responsibility mm. and using and exerting the personal power each of us has it is within our means and our decision making to make changes that truly make people in our organizations feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. And anything less than that, you know, means that we are still needing to put our own self-reflection and build our own self-awareness. This is all very personal. It doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum. You have an emotion about this. And it's not pretty, but at the, at the same time, you know, it's not supposed, life is never easy. It's not something that um, we can solve in a day either. So we're really very honored to be on this journey. And the idea that we can be part of sparking discussions, getting caught focused on, is my organization thinking about this in a way that gets us to the point where we have equity so that there is diversity of thought, so that there is more productivity, there is more um, better morale, there's a better return. Um, am I, do I have the right people at the table, right? Do I have the right people at the table who, can, who have the cultural fluency to do development work? You know, we're not just putting widgets together in how we connect people to create our global health or create our global our, or our security. We're dealing with how a person is, how to reach a person, right? And unless we hear each other, um, we're not able to communicate effectively. 
Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I am thinking about um, what I asked you earlier before we got on this call, which is what makes you think you can do this? So you have a sense of personal responsibility and you have gathered together leaders to work with you. What gives you the sense that why you? What makes you think that you can, you're the person to do this? And you know, and I may not be, but the point is that I could be. Mm. And it's... So I just want to pause there. Because I think that's so beautiful. I might not be, but I could be. Like, what if that was, you know, what if that's the mantra? Maybe it is me. And so let's go ahead. And why not? So sorry for interrupting you. No, absolutely. So much. Yes. And it's really, I think it's not a question, you know, when, when I start, when I touch something that is this important and so big, I'm not trying to change the world. Mm. I'm just trying to bring to it my emotion and my experience mm. because I believe in all the pieces coming together. And that's the beauty of Creed. It, it may have been an idea that sparked in me, but Susan Reichley and Carrie Esler-Adlet and Sarah Homesteader and Marsha Mardenkov and Pat Morris and Sylvia Migret and, you know, um, Paul Weisenfeld. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I hate when I start taking names because I'm, I know I leave out people that are equally important, but these were just part of a puzzle. And so I think sometimes we think we have to solve the puzzle ourselves. All we have to do is continue to be the spark we each are. Right? And if we allow ourselves that and not judge ourselves or the other, right? Because it's then that we can at least have that place where the sparks can connect. Now that made me weepy again. So what I, the, what I love is like part of the puzzle. So you, you, you're your piece. You keep put your piece down and assume everybody else will put their pieces. And, um, and then I love the not judge yourself. Just go forward. What if it is me? And I wanted to bring in now your, your own personal journey, which, which you wrote, have written about up to the point that you wrote the book, because I know your journey is still continuing. Um, so again, your book, Fast Forward to Hope, you have been on a, a personal journey that has, um, as my understanding, it has transformed you or it has, uh, I'm guessing, deepened your own belief in that you need to lead. So cr- say it in your own words and let's bring it all together. Thank you. I appreciate touching upon all aspects of identity. Mm. Um, So I live with what I call an invisible disease. I live with advanced breast cancer with bone metastases um, and extensive bone metastases. And it was discovered as such in April of 2007. And my last treatment was this past Friday. And the good news is that there's so much working, right? I'm grateful to be alive. I'm, I'm sure recognizing what I've been given 
uh, allows me to push harder to go down this path that in whatever direction that I feel I can be a part of. But I think, you know, it's, it's the journey of being able to put myself out there in a way that makes vulnerability okay. And oftentimes, as leaders or as mothers, I have to say, or as um, in, in many of the roles we have, we're taught to keep a stiff upper lip mm. and persevere. But with all of that that gets pent up, especially in these times where we have so much that the world is dealing with and there's so much pain, if we can speak to each other from our truth, I think that that in that is the beauty of shared humanity. And so in writing Fast Forward to Hope, um, my desire was to really share the lessons I've learned to accept the balance of fear and hope. Mm-hmm. Right, and and similarly with the issue with creed or the pledge, there there's always a dichotomy, right? And the idea of pushing so hard on one side of the expectation versus the other sometimes is not productive by recognizing there is both fear and there is hope and desire. Um, by by that place of saying, okay, I'm on this journey and there are days when it'll be challenging and other days when it'll be just beautiful, um, allows me to put one foot in front of the other. And you bring that to, I imagine you bring that to wherever you are, um, whether you speak to it or it's just part of your energy that you give out, I'm I can envision that you would bring that to the work, that, the collaboration that you're doing with others. I, um, there's a quote that you that I of yours that I like that I'm going to read here. Um, the book is for people who have the odds stacked against them and to find inspiration from their own challenges and from themselves. And um, I as I love the finding inspiration in challenges when I think that I myself and others may be wired in it's a challenge woe is me as opposed to what is the inspiration in there. So I wanted to highlight that. No, thank you, Len. It's, you know, for a long time, and we all do, we have that elephant on our chest. Mm. And it's difficult to breathe or to fathom a different future. And by exhaling, just simply by one breath, we can start walking through the challenge instead of standing behind it. Because a challenge with the weight of it in front of you is this mountain. But if you keep standing behind it, um, it overpowers you. So you have to sort of exhale that elephant off your chest and walk straight into the challenge, into the mountain, without that judgment of whether you can or you can't, but with the faith, which has been fundamental in my life, that there is purpose in walking through. Mm. 
So I just wanted to underline that, that there's purpose in walking through the challenge. There's purpose in walking through the challenge. Um, so, Indira, I, you made me kind of emotional again. Um, <laughs> thank you. No, please don't apologize. These are my favorite podcasts when I get emotional. <laughs> um, so anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to make sure that we do? You know, I, I really want to thank you for allowing me to bring different parts of me to this podcast. Um, what's fundamentally and critically, the highest priority for me right now is Creed and the Racial and Ethnic Equity Pledge. We have uh, finished polishing the pledge. We had all 31 organizations look at it. We've done an external review with, uh, where we reached out to 64 organizations, including USAID and State and MCC and DFC, as much as the five trade associations. Um, and we're at this point where we feel we've created a, a good trauma for the way forward. Mm. Um, the goal is to get people to think about it and to talk about it and to own parts of it that work for them and to use it to move the needle in their organization. So we're getting ready to launch the pledge for signatures. Um, we'll, our website and our social media handles are alive by the time, will be live by the time this podcast as I hope, I, I trust. And um, we're hoping and asking that any US-based international and humanitarian assistance organization Take a look at it. And if they're confident that, that they are able to get on this journey, that they can pledge towards building racial and ethnic equity in their organization, and they can use the pledge in some way and participate in our learning hub, which will be on our website, um, for them to endorse the pledge for them to promote the pledge and to sign the pledge. We are opening the pledge for first endorsers between February 22nd and March 22nd. It's hard to be first, but it's really important to have the courage to be first. I would really welcome this industry owning this movement. Well... We are going to, um, from our side, we are going to support you as much as we can, and we will have you back so oh we my. can find out what's going on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so thank you so much, Indira, for so many things, for being so vulnerable, for, you know, following what your purpose is because we're all benefiting from it. Um for your, you know, using your journey for the good of, of the community. So thank you for that. I am just so grateful to be one piece in a very, very good puzzle. Mm. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You're welcome. <laughs>